choir and orchestra. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn to Colossians chapter 2. We take a break from our study in 2 Thessalonians to zero in on the resurrection. Colossians 2, the focal verses you will see are 13 through 15, and you see the outline there. Um, But I want to back up to verse 6 and and get some context going here so we can uh, refer back to this later. It's an incredible passage of Scripture where Paul is encouraging the, the church at Colossae and the church at Heritage Baptist right here today. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Listen as I read this, follow along if you will. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, now we go to our focal passage, listen for those three elements, the gift of the burial, uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Father, I thank You for the reality of the death and the burial, the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today and indeed every day. But today we want to hone in and use this time, even as we have been doing singing praises to You about what you accomplished in the resurrection, and now we look to your word. God, how I pray for an open heart for every person in this room. I pray that we would not only hear with our physical ears, but hear with the ears of our heart, and that you would enlighten us and enliven us by your Holy Spirit as we take your word in, and that we would be changed into the image of Christ. So we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out with a quiz. You wouldn't expect that on an Easter Sunday in a sermon, would you? But I want to start out with an Easter quiz. I'm going to ask three questions. These are true or false questions. Now, just beware, many of you have heard when I've asked questions before, generally speaking, there's a gotcha kind of thing going on here. So, I want you to to think about this for yourself as a Christian, all right? Answer this for yourself as a Christian. Here's the first question. 
Jesus will forgive all your sins, rather a statement. Jesus will forgive all your sins. Is that true or false? Okay, now, especially for those who are not in Christ, this is one of the most precious promises that you and I can imagine. If we are sinners coming before a holy God, then the promise that Christ will forgive all of our sins is indeed precious, through repentance and faith. So it's true for those who are not yet in Christ. Here's a second statement. I'll explain when I come to the third. Jesus has forgiven your past sins, true or false. I think I scared some of you with that first one, okay? That's true, but as, I, as I've said about a great many things in Scripture, things can be true but just incomplete. This is one of those. This is true for a Christian, but it is woefully inadequate, and that brings us to the third and last statement, Jesus has forgiven all your sins, true or false? True, 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 true. It is absolutely the truth. Don't hesitate. Don't falter on this because of what Jesus did on the cross, His death, His burial, and resurrection. This is the message of Easter. The message of Easter is not really about what you do. It's about what He's already done. And because of the the reality of the gospel, He has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is more powerful than the death and the resurrection of Christ. So what has God done for us and in us through the death and the resurrection of Christ? Now, at this point, and I've done this in the past, a lot of times on Easter Sunday, we spend a lot of time in apologetics. That is, we spend a lot of time trying to prove to those who, by and large, are already convinced about the fact that this is a historical and objective reality. And I'm talking about the death on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. This is historical. This is objective. Paul warned, do you remember that as we were reading that a few moments ago, back up in verse 8? Paul just warned us about hollow and deceitful philosophies, and the world is full of them. And maybe, just maybe some in this room, some of you have been captivated, have been captured by these empty philosophies. And what I hope, what I pray is the case today is that you will be you will be captured, you will be captivated by Christ and what He did in His death on the cross and His resurrection. So let's look at it, beginning with verse 13. I told you this would be the focal passage. Now I want to start out with something that is vitally important. Look at it. He says, while we were spiritually dead, He made us alive together with Christ. It was while we were dead. Did you get that? This parallels with a passage in Ephesians 
By the way, the book of Colossians kind of parallels with Ephesians anyway, but it is not when we have a speck of life in us. It was while we were spiritually alive, a dead, that He made us alive together with Him. I think of Lazarus in, in the tomb, and already had been there for, for four days, and I, I, I've always liked the, the way the King James puts it. You know, Jesus goes to the tomb. He's getting ready to do this incredible miracle. He'd done other miracles before, but this was going to take the cake. And so he goes to the tomb and he says, roll away the stone. And someone wisely said to him, and this is King James, I've always liked the way it says it, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He's been dead. It's past rigor mortis. Rot has begun to set in, and by this time, he has begun to stink. That didn't deter Jesus at all, because the power of God was there. Now, watch this. This is a parallel of what Paul says in, in, in verse 13, while we were dead. There was not even a spark of life in Lazarus. And spiritually speaking, neither is there a spark of life in us before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was while we were dead. Uh, there's an old song. Uh, we, we did this in the first service. And I grew, I grew up with this song. It was, it was one of my, I guess it was one of my favorites. It was kind of a happy song. We, we sang it with a lot of gusto. Uh, the, the song, and maybe some of you remember it, Love Lifted Me. Anybody remember that song? It's a great song, very nostalgic for some of you. I saw how you said, yeah, I remember that song. A lot of nostalgia, but not so good on the theology. According to what Paul says in verse 13. Now, some of you can sing this with me. I won't sing it, I'll just say the first verse, okay? So you can see what I'm talking about. Now, I, I did this several years ago, and uh, somebody was offended uh, because they, they really liked the song. They said, you messed up the song for me. And I said, well, I'm sorry to mess up your nostalgia, but your theology needs a little bit of a tweak, okay? Uh, he was a good enough friend where I could say that. But do you remember how it goes? I was, now compare this with what Paul has just said in verse 13, while you were dead. So the, the first verse goes, I was sinking, go ahead and say it with me, deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. That is theologically inaccurate. According to what Paul has just said in verse 13, I had already sunk to the bottom of the ocean. I was like Lazarus in the tomb. The only reason I didn't stinketh was because I was at the bottom of the ocean. The fish had already started to eat my flesh. The, the picture of deadness needs to grip us because it was while we were dead that He made us alive together with Him. You think Lazarus was a great miracle? You just look at your own life. Even some of you children who've received Jesus Christ as a child I, I pray that you will be gripped with this. And adults, we need to be gripped all over again with this 
while we were dead, Christ, God made us alive together with him. And not only that, he did three things. Here's the summary, and we'll get into each one of these. He's forgiven all of our trespasses. Verse 13, he has canceled out the record of debt against us, verse 14, and he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities of their powers against us, verse 15. So let's jump in. Let's look at what God has done for us because of death and resurrection. First of all, God has forgiven how many of our trespasses? All of them. Now, this is why that quiz was so important. He's not just forgiven our past. Has He forgiven the present trespasses, the ones that you did today? Will, has He? See, this is why, too, will He forgive all your trespasses? That's not really the question for the Christian. He's already forgiven your future trespasses as well, past, present, and future. All of our trespasses. That's sin, and that's sins. Now, let me just stop here and let's talk about sin for a minute. Some of you are flinching. Uh Uh-oh, I hope the pastor doesn't use me as an illustration. You do realize, and and I'm preaching, I, I look at you, and I know the majority of you, and family members, of course, you're here. Uh... But you have an idea of this. But i got to tell you that people around you in the world do not have an idea. They don't have a, a, a mental frame of reference when you start talking about sin. Sometimes they'll just say there's no such thing. That's a mental construct of a very sensitive conscience. And so you feel that pang, you were raised in this certain way, and there's really no such thing as sin or guilt. It's a futile exercise. Or if they do feel that, sometimes here's how they solve it. Well, you know what? You're right. You're right. I made some mistakes this last week. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And even if you get help with that, you still probably will fall in to those same sins. Or, here's one, this is a religious one, I'll work it off through doing acts of penance. Now, which religious group am I talking about? Well, you think it's Catholic, it's Baptists. Uh, Yeah, Baptists, we have our form of penance too. You know, somebody's convicted, something happens in a person's life, and one of the first things they do is say, well, well, maybe I'll turn over a new leaf, but they'll say, I'll get back in church. Mm, It's going to fix it. I'll start tithing. I'll start teaching in the nursery. Boy, now that's really penance. Here's what I'm trying to say about this and why it's so important that you latch on to the fact that God through Christ has forgiven all of our sins. You cannot do one thing, not one thing, to wipe out any one of your sins, to atone for any one of your sins. And this idea is probably one of the most destructive ideas that I've heard out here. Let me share with you what it is. This is a fairly new one. It it came about 20, 30 years ago, part of the self-esteem movement that has crept into even evangelical churches. And it goes something like this. I just can't 
forgive myself. Anybody ever said that? Or no, no hand-holding. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? remember talking in one of my churches years ago to one of the deacons, a good friend, good friend. They've got to be good friends for me to get away with saying some of the things that I've said to them. You know, in love, speaking the truth in love, in gentleness, of course. But we were talking one day, and he said, you know, he was talking about this sin uh, pattern that was happening in his life, and he hated it. He, he wanted to get rid of it. And he said, he said these words, you know, I know God has forgiven me, I just can't forgive myself. And I, I don't know what prompted it, but uh, it was just a flash of insight. And I looked at him, I called him my name, and I said, congratulations. He looked at me, congratulations. I said, yes, congratulations. You've just put yourself up above God. He said he has forgiven all of your sins. And by you saying that you can't forgive yourself, you've just made yourself bigger than God. Let's remember, this is what the Bible says, Isaiah 43, and, and, and God emphasizes this here. I, even I, I, I am the only one who wipes out your transgressions, your sin and your sins, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. Sin is not just a mistake, folks. It's not just a flaw. It's deadly. And we know that Paul in another place says this. He says the wages of sin is death. How many, how many people that have ever been born apart from Christ deserve death? Because they've sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many people need the forgiveness of God through Christ? All. Let me share with you a couple of verses. I, I like to do this sometimes. If you're writing these down, they would be down the, these would be good. I like to give you just kind of uh, bullets, bullet points from the Scriptures about this. You can load your uh, spiritual revolver or your spiritual uh, semi-automatic weapon while you still can. Uh, with, with these, I'm talking spiritually here, okay? Not politically, maybe. Uh, but but load, load your spiritual gun with these so that when the enemy comes, spiritual enemy, we're going to talk about him a little bit later uh, because he's been disarmed anyway, but you can, you can defeat him with these kinds of truths from the Word of God. Well, here's a good one. And most of you have already heard these, but for some of you, these are going to be liberating. How can you expect to live free unless you know that you are free? And you know that he has, let me back this up. As far as east is from west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's huge. Pew. Next time Satan comes to condemn you. Here's another one. You have cast all my sins behind your back. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. They're gone. And here's another image of, of casting, but this time not just behind your back. You have cast all of my sins into the depths of the sea. And that's why when a particular sin comes to mind, here's what you can do. You can either choose 
to try to deny that it's really a sin? Maybe you've Maybe you've been captured by some of those empty philosophies, deceptive philosophies, and so you say, that's really not a sin. I don't do what other people do. Those are big sins. My sin is not really a sin. And so you can try to deny it. But the fact is, if you're a follower of Christ, you know what it's going to do. It's just going to keep dogging you. And some of you can give testimony to that fact. Or you can choose to dwell on the truth of the Word of God and His complete forgiveness of all of your sins, and you can praise Him and you can thank Him. Now, conviction and remembering your sin is of some value but only as it motivates you to remember how much God has forgiven you so that you can praise Him and then so you can do something else. Now, you probably would be guessing that I would get to this application. This is not just a vertical thing. God forgives us of all of our sins. This also has a horizontal component to it as well. And by that, I mean your relationships with, with others. It, it's, it's almost inevitable, not clockwork, but every year, maybe sometimes multiple times, every year somebody will call me. I'm talking about members of the church, and they'll say, I no longer love my husband. We're, we're getting a divorce. Usually it comes at the tail end, not toward the beginning, and many times it's, it's years of buildup. And, and I, listen, I get it. I understand things happen. But I think what I'm saying is that if we know that we have been forgiven, then right away, and, and it's always a, a two-way road, okay? It, it takes two of everybody, whether it's a couple or a family or an extended family in the church or whatever the relationship might be. Here's the key. In, in all of this, this putting on as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Well, where does that come from? How about kindness? How about humility? How about meekness or patience or bearing with one another? And if one has a complaint against one another, can you imagine that? People actually having complaints against one another? What are we to do? What are we to do? And we know that's the Sunday school answer. We're to forgive each other. But it goes back to the cross and the resurrection. See, this stuff is not just an Easter Sunday sermon. This is practical. This is for when you leave this place and you have a disagreement with whomever. It's all based on the cross. It's all based on resurrection. Forgiving each other, how? As the Lord has forgiven you. How many of your sins has the Lord forgiven? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Does that make sense? The cross and the resurrection are incredibly practical. All of the Bible is incredibly practical. So instead of looking inside, being dragged down by your sins, and that happens to so many Christians, and, and they, they've got something happening on the inside they can't quite get over, 
Frankly, sometimes they just need accountability and some other things that would help them out. But instead of looking inside, one of the first things you can do is look to the cross. Adrian Rogers, some of you remember that name, great pastor and preacher that died several years back. He said, look, if you're going to look at your sins, you glance at your sins, but you gaze on the cross. And instead of whipping yourself over your transgressions, praise Jesus for His forgiveness for all of your sins. Because of what He's done, guilt can't touch you unless you let it. Let's move on to the second thing. Secondly, not only have all of your sins been forgiven, but now this is a parallel to that. In a beautiful picture, God has canceled out. He has taken away. He has removed the record of debt consisting of decrees that stood against us, which was hostile to us. What's he talking about? Over and over again, Paul talks about how ridiculous it is to try to earn God's approval by keeping the law, the Ten Commandments. Now, let's stop right here. Do the Ten Commandments have a place in the New Testament way of doing things? Absolutely they do, but not to keep so as to be approved by God. Whenever I share the gospel with someone, I always talk about sin. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Remember, I just said a few minutes ago that people generally have no concept. They don't have a, 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 a mental frame of reference, spiritual frame of reference for the concept of sin. And so that's why it's so important to say, look, the Bible says sin is transgression of the law. And so let's just walk through this. Now, it's always, it's always an interesting thing. There's a little bit of difference between uh, adults and children in, in doing this. But uh, in, invariably, if I'm sitting down and I'm talking to an adult, which I have on many occasions, and we come to this place and say, here's, here's what God expects. Let's just walk through this for a minute. See how you're doing. First commandment. You should have no other gods before me. Have you ever had anything that's come between you and God? What is a, a normal, reasonable adult going to say? Yes, I have. Let's go to the second. Okay, you're one for one. And let's say that, that means somebody in here. I, I'm walking you through this. Let's go to the second one. Don't make idols for yourself. Have you ever let anything created or anything that you've created come between you and God? Oh, you're two for two. And then we just go on down the line. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Most adults will really answer quickly to that because they think it refers to cussing. Yeah, I cussed. Really, that commandment has to do with how we view God. Do you take God in vain? Do you ever take God lightly, the things of God lightly? Oh, yes, I do. Well, let's go on. Worship. Do you always worship in the way you should, where you should, when you should? No. And then it goes to the horizontal. How about, and, and by the way, with, with kids, as, as you're going through this, and some of you children I've talked to and Pastor Jimmy has talked to, some 
most kids will not really get what you're talking about in the first four commandments. But they always understand the fifth commandment. If they're looking at you kind of like this, and they're not sure whether to shake their head. When I come to the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother, and I look at a child and I say, have you always obeyed your mommy and daddy? What, do, what does every kid who's old enough, child, what do they say? No. Now, what's so important is the Bible says that if you've broken one, you're, now, listen very carefully, you, it's not that you've broken them all. For a child, that's very important for them to see the concept of sin. But if you've broken one, you are as guilty as if you had broken the entire Ten Commandments. And you just walk through. Don't murder. Be pure. Don't commit adultery. Don't do those things which dishonor God with impurity. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't want what other people have. Now, when you get to the end of this, then it, it, it's, it's such a natural thing to say, I, I want you to understand something. God doesn't grade on the curve. Do you understand what I mean? If you get 99% right and you get 1% wrong, again, you're as guilty as if you had broken the whole thing. By the way, for some of you students, if you get 99% in God's book, but you get one wrong, you're still getting an F minus. Okay? It's serious, as we saw a minute ago. It's the death penalty. And the imagery here is that all people in the world, you before Christ, we have run up a massive debt. Every sin goes into God's grade book, I guess I could say. It's a certificate of debt, and everyone is recorded. I don't know that a lot of people understand that and why it's so important that Paul says that he has taken every one of those debts, that grade book that is so full of all the, the failures and something fantastic has happened. It says that he has taken it, he has removed it, that record of debt consisting of the decrees standing against us, hostile. Yeah, it's hostile condemns us to death, and He has nailed it to the cross. Look at this incredible verse that parallels what… I, I, I don't know that Paul had this in mind when he was writing about it. He could have, but Psalm 130, I have a picture in my office that Thomas Blackshear paints, painted, and it's, uh, it's called Forgiven. It's an incredible picture when you look at it, and it's got this guy, and he's, he's dressed in torn clothing. His, his jeans are dirty because he's fallen over and over again. And in one hand, he has a mallet. In the other hand, he has a spike. And he has a pained expression on his face, and he's about to fall again. But, but in the picture, the arms of Christ and the hands of Christ are lifting him up. And guess what? you see in the hands of Christ, nail-pierced hands. 
And below that, the, the, the caption that Thomas Blackshear put is this, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, if, if, if you just kept my, that grade book against me or that certificate of debt, who could stand? The guy in the picture couldn't. You couldn't. I couldn't. But then he says this marvelous thing, and he, he prefigures, prefigures Christ. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, Christ lived a life of perfect obedience. Then he bore the curse of the law as our, as our substitute. This verse is so important, and, and maybe you've seen it before, but have you ever embraced the reality of it? Sometimes when, when we think of, of our sins being put on Christ, it's kind of like I, I, I get the image that a lot of people think, and we, we have illustrations like this, of here's Christ on the cross, and here's a sticky note of your sins. And you go and you tack it on Christ. And so Christ has all of the sticky notes of, of your sins and mine. Tape. No, that's not what this verse says. It says that in... This is stunning. We need to pray for, for eyes to see the reality of this. For our sake, look what He did. He, made, he took our sins and He made the one who was perfect, who did not know any sin to be sin on our behalf so that we, in turn, might become the righteousness of God in Him. And, and that's why today, as we live our lives, we can say we're not under law, but we are under grace. What, a, what an incredible transaction. Third thing, finally, God has done something else. This is cool. So he's forgiven all your sins. He's taken the debt that you accumulated. Oh, by the way, future debt too. It's all wiped out. Oh, I didn't say this, but but this is for another sermon. The whole thing of justification doesn't just bring me up to zero. It's not like my bank account, which was, I had this huge debt, and it's just, oh, there's nothing, there's no debt in there. What he does is give us his righteousness. Okay? And that's exactly what this verse says. But there's something else. He's disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Verse 15, look at that. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, this is not government rulers, this is not government authorities, okay? So he's talking about the spiritual realities. He made a public display of them having triumphed over them through the cross. Let me ask you a question. Are conspiracy theories real? (laughs) I I see some looking at each other and, well, that all depends on which conspiracy, right? I I may not be able to give you the definitive answer on all of the conspiracies that are out there But I can tell you for sure, and we talked about this on Friday night, there is one huge conspiracy masterminded by Satan himself. 
He's armed, or at least he was, with all kinds of weapons to come against you. His, his ultimate goal is not to make you unhappy. Satan's ultimate goal is not to ruin your day. He's out to kill and steal and destroy. And, and by the way, right now, it looks as if, at this moment, I'm talking about all of the activity is up here. In fact, some of you probably sitting there and you're fighting a little bit of the, the cobwebs, you probably wish you could have a little bit more activity. It's, it's okay to move. But I want you to know that the majority of the activity is not happening up here. It's happening right here where you're sitting. If you could put on spiritual 3D glasses. Have you ever been to the movie and you've seen a 3D movie? You ever seen one of those? Pretty cool. Without the 3D glasses, you look and everything's just real blurred and the colors are... But you put on the 3D glasses and wow, wow, you just almost have to step back because you think something's going to hit you or whatever. If you could put on spiritual 3D glasses, you would be amazed at what is happening in this room right now. And you'd be amazed at what's going to happen later on as you're at home. Because the enemy is coming after you. In fact, Paul said these words in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, look, folks, our real battle, our real struggle is not against the conspiracies that man is formulating. Those are real. Due diligence, all the rest of that. But our real, for a Christian, our real struggle is against the rulers and the authorities. Exactly what he says in Colossians chapter 2. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it says right here, verse 15, that because of what Christ did on the cross and the resurrection, that he has disarmed them. He has stripped them. When Jesus went to the cross, he was stripped. The, the, the cross, if you've ever studied it, the cru crucifixion, Truly, I don't think that there's anything that can compare with crucifixion in terms of being the most horrible way to die. And one of the things was the shame from being stripped. And Paul turns it around. He says, hey, you think everything was done against Christ? No. He was stripping all of the forces the rulers and the authorities. He was stripping them naked on the cross. And let me further say this. What is the only weapon that Satan has against you today? We fight him. With, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, and our weapons are not flesh and blood. Let me tell you what Satan has against you as a weapon. His mouth. Let me put it another way. His sermons, which are, are you ready for this? Always full of lies. Satan can't tell the truth. He can't. His nature is to lie. There's no mixture with him, just like there's no mixture with God. He is always true, and he can never lie. And what Satan does is preach his sermons to you every day. 
And boy, are they sophisticated. They're seductive. They're manipulative. And his goal is to convince you that the truth is a lie and that the lie is the truth. And boy, has he had a heyday this past year. You want to know what what his greatest lie is, what his greatest tool against people is? What, What do you think it is? And particularly growing, we saw this growing out of this last year. What do you think it is? Fear. Specifically, fear of what? Fear of death. I, I love the, the author by the name of Carl Truman. Probably a lot of you have never heard of him. Google, Google him. Uh, he's, uh, he's deep. He's not always an easy read. He's, he's just good, though. I mean, some of the things he comes up with. But he wrote a couple of articles, uh, wrote one a while back, but one this last year in the midst of the COVID crisis. The title of the article was, was this, Deaths Delayed. Death delayed. And what he did was to remind us, I I liked the article because somehow, even if, and, and we should do these things to, quote, save lives, but if that is our only focus, we need to remember that in saving a life, what are we really doing? We're only delaying death. And barring a return, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will all face death. You know, the Bible says our days are numbered. And that is true. Last week, I celebrated a birthday. I will not tell you which one. But sometimes when I uh, realize that somebody has had a birthday, I like to you know, just kind of, it's different. Uh, maybe some of you have been on the receiving end of this. And I'll say, okay, I want to sing happy birthday to you. Uh, would you like the happy version or the sad version? They'll go, what? what? Well, the happy version is just the regular happy birthday. And um, so I, I told her I wouldn't do this. I told her I wouldn't pick on her. But there is someone who is having, her birthday is today. And I'm not going to say who it is, Teresa. I told her I would sing to her. Okay, so I'm going to do the, you want the happy version or the sad version? No, no, you're not going to get that. That doesn't go with the sermon, okay? You're going to get the sad version, all right? Here it goes. The tune is different too. If you know it, you can sing it along, sing along with me. It goes like this. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. One day closer to death. Happy birthday. Cheery, right? But true. Barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, for some of us in the next little while, today is one day closer to death. I didn't mention this in the earlier service, but 
Yesterday I talked with Ed Johnson. You guys who have been around the church, you know Ed. Always right back here on the door, wonderful servant of God. Carlita, his wife, who has been um, stricken with Alzheimer's for, for several years, she probably will not live through today. She's at the point of death. I didn't realize. It, it always shocks us, doesn't it? Four years of, of this battle and all of a sudden when it gets here. But I, I talked to Ed last night and I prayed with him. And there was this incredible, with, with a shaking voice, an incredible sadness. But as we talked, an incredible sense of joy in that she's not just one day closer to death. She's one day closer to life. Not because she's done things. The message of Easter is not about what we do. It's about done. It's about what He has done because of what Christ has done. And this is, this is what He's done in stripping away the rulers and the authorities, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, His death on the cross, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I want to ask you something. Have you been listening to Satan's sermons? Or like the message from Paul in Colossians chapter 2, have you been listening to the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you gripped with despair sometimes as you look around? What the enemy is saying? Are you like the, the, the armies, the children of Israel, listening to Goliath's taunt? Now, I want, I want you to get a picture of this and parallel this with Christ. Everybody that day, when they saw this little ruddy face, that's what it says, this little guy go out with no armor except for a, a sling and five rocks, smooth stones. And this massive nine-foot, nine-inch guy strapped with armor, and he had a sword, and he had a spear, and he had a javelin, and he had a shield and all of that. And everybody that day said, what a mismatch. Didn't everybody that day say, what a mismatch? Somebody in the first service said, well, no, David didn't. Yeah, he did. Everybody else said, there's no way that this guy can take on the giant. David said, you're right. What a mismatch. That giant is coming to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I'm coming against him in the name of the Lord of the armies of Israel. And oh, by the way, he will defeat him. And David was a type of Christ who destroyed the giant, who had all of the children of Israel in slavery, and, and they were like we are. 
based on the, the victory of Jesus Christ. We bask in that. And we just, like Israel, we just go in after his victory and take the spoils. Don't be afraid of the battle because it's been won for us. Don't listen to Satan's lies. Preach the gospel of the cross and the resurrection to yourself every day. Father, I thank you for this time to focus on the reality of Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised from the dead on the third day, Christ ascended and Christ coming again. And Lord, we glory in what He has done, not what we have done, but what He has done in forgiving all of our trespasses, in wiping out the debt that was owed. But lo and behold, not only that, granting to us the righteousness of Christ in Him and by disarming all of the principalities and powers arrayed against us. My prayer is that if there is anyone here today who has come, and they've not been savingly joined to Christ, that they would see the reality of their own sin. They would look to the cross of Christ. They would realize that Christ died for sinners, and they would repent, turn away from their sin, and trust in the sacrifice of Christ, in Christ himself to forgive them of all of their sin. Oh God, please grant that it may be so even today. And that we who know you would be strengthened as we consider what God through Christ has done for us. Thank you, Father, for all of this. Now, as we go from this place, you, you, Lord, you be glorified in all that we do. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.